Blog Talk Radio. Network in just a minute here. Let me get that going. So hope everybody's doing well. All right, so we're on Facebook. Hey, welcome to the African History Network show right here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. Today is Thursday, uh, August 24th, 2017. Thursday, August 24th, 2017. And we are live. We'll be here for a couple of hours. We have a lot to talk about. The date is the 217th day um, of the Donald Trump regime, the 217th day of the Donald Trump regime. I don't think he's going to make it to the end of the year, as I've said before. Okay. So um, 
on tonight's show, you may have seen the broadcast that I did this morning on uh, 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, Wake Up With Steve Hood. I'm on every Thursday morning, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Uh, so today uh, we'll do one of the topics we dealt with this dealt with this morning. Protests continue across the country as Confederate monuments continue to come down. Protests continue across the country as Confederate monuments continue to come down, and the protests are spreading to um, other types of monuments. We, we've seen it spread to uh, statues of Christopher Columbus. Uh, statues to J. Marion Sims uh, in New York. So this has continued to spread, and now you have people talking about correcting the curriculum, correcting the school curriculum as well, which is the um, which is the next logical step, correcting the school curriculum, because so many people have been miseducated. Okay, so we'll talk some about that. And then also, uh, this past Saturday, we lost one of the legends, one, one of the greats. He was an activist, author, comedian, uh, Dick Gregory. Dick Gregory passed away at the age of 84 uh, this, late, uh, this past Saturday. Okay, So we'll talk some about uh, Dick, Gregory, Dick Gregory as well. We'll talk about his legacy. And then also, people across uh, the U.S. are continuing to protest on behalf of Colin Kaepernick, former San Francisco, former San Francisco 49ers um, quarterback, okay? And they're continuing to uh, protest on behalf of Colin Kaepernick. And we just saw this past, uh, we just saw yesterday, actually, we saw over 1,000 people uh, protest outside of uh, NFL headquarters in uh, New York. Okay, and we know uh, rapper J. Cole and uh, director Spike Lee were helping promote the uh, protest, even though they didn't organize it. They were helping promote it, and they said they supported Colin Kaepernick. Okay, but what's interesting is, uh, well, not maybe not that surprising. George Foreman, heavyweight champion of the world, George Foreman, who was knocked out by uh, Muhammad Ali. October 30th, 1974, George Foreman is not supporting Colin Kaepernick. Interesting. And, and Colin Kaepernick's stance against the national anthem. George Foreman was always a little confused on that issue, which is why one of the reasons why Muhammad Ali will be more loved and adored than George Foreman ever will. Okay. When you study um, Foreman's uh, history. Okay. All right. So, uh, we'll talk about that, and then also we'll talk some about the uh, presentation I'm doing. Um, presentation I'm doing Friday morning uh, in Oak Park, Michigan, right outside of Detroit. Um, this is part of Coffee Breakfast and Business. Coffee Breakfast and Business, and it's at two five nine zero zero Greenfield Road in Oak Park, Michigan. Uh, it's nine a.m. to twelve noon. And there'll be free breakfast served. This is a, a business networking event for African-Americans. Um, I've been at it the past two Fridays. Miles Dixon puts, puts this on. This is taking place 25900 uh, Greenfield Road, Suite 326, 25900 Greenfield Road, Suite 326. Okay, Oak Park, Michigan. It's a free event. Come on out, 9 a.m. to 12 noon. 
My presentation is on the 13 forms of wealth, the 13 forms of wealth, keys to uh, entrepreneurship and economic empowerment for African-Americans, the 13 forms of wealth, keys to entrepreneurship and economic empowerment for African-Americans. Okay, that's what my presentation is on. And I deal with history. I deal with uh, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship. I uh, deal with concepts of redistributing the pain through economic withdrawal strategies. So it's a very good presentation. We also have that presentation available at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com as well. So you can order it there if you want to also, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, all my DVD presentations are there. And uh, we're going to post information here on the thread of the broadcast about my presentation um, Friday morning. Okay, so it's been very busy. I did a video about this it. on YouTube also, so we'll post that uh, uh, video as well. We have a Facebook uh, event invite for the um, um, event also. Okay. And it's on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, the um, the flyer. All right. Well, look, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right, because right knowledge corrects wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you have been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the show. We deal with current events and history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. The 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Also go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can sign up for the email newsletter there as well. All right. Uh, I want to let you know that Elementary Genocide Part 3 is out now. Elementary Genocide Part 3 from director Raheem Shabazz. I'm featured in the documentary along with Professor James Small, Professor Kaba Hiawatha Kamene, David Banner, Shaherazad Ali. So uh, you'll be able to purchase that from our website, uh, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, this evening. Okay, uh, Elementary Genocide Part 3. We have Elementary Genocide Part 1 and 2 there. And uh, Elementary Genocide Part 3 deals with the academic holocaust, the school-to-prison pipeline, academic holocaust, how to fight against it. All right, so um, we've seen protests. And if, you, if you've been following my uh, uh, Facebook Live broadcast, you've heard me talk about this. And uh, if you follow me on, um, you follow the broadcast I've been doing on 9, 10 a.m. the Superstation, especially especially Thursday mornings. We've talked about this also, okay? So since um, August 12, 2017, the uh, white supremacist attack in Charlottesville, you've had more people and, and more cities, more states are looking at removing Confederate monuments. All right, so... And this is causing people to learn more about Confederate history and learn things that they did not know about Confederate history also. Okay, so people are getting a real history lesson. And at the same time, we're finding out how much about history, how much about the Civil War, how much about the history of this country. A lot of adults don't even know, especially a lot of white adults. Okay, we're finding this out. 
Okay, everybody, share this broadcast. Those watching on Facebook, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. And we're also broadcasting on the uh, Blog Talk Radio Network. Um, And you can call in and listen by phone or call in with a question or comment at 914-338-1375. 914-338-1375 is uh, the call-in number as well. 914-338-1375. And um, we'll post it here. Uh, we'll post information here. 914-338-1375. Okay, so uh, I know we have people listening across the country and watching across the country. All right, so protests over Confederate monuments continue across the country, and they have spread to college campuses and also the U.S. Capitol building because there are 12 Confederate monuments in the U.S. Capitol building as well. Uh, and uh, this is behind the white supremacist attack in Charlottesville, Virginia. It took place uh, August 12, 2017, which resulted in uh, at least 19 people being injured and one Heather Hare, 32 years old, who was killed. Now, because of these protests, many Americans are getting a real history lesson that they did not get in school. The protests have now spread to statues of Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice Roger B. Taney, who wrote the Dred Scott decision of 1857. We saw that in the state of Maryland. His uh, statue was taken down, and it should be. It has spread to a statue of J. Marion Sims, who was known as the father of modern gynecology. Um, in uh, the city of New York and J. Marion Sims, if you're not familiar with him, he did, uh, he lived from 1813 to 1883 and he did horrific experiments on uh, enslaved Africans, especially African women. Um, and he was, he was a butcher. He did all types of horrific experiments on them and, and uh, c- conducted numerous surgeries on them also. And we also see this uh, fight turning towards statues of uh, Christopher Columbus. We see that here in the city of Detroit. There's a statue of Christopher Columbus, and last week there were protests against that, the statue being there. Uh, The protesters are saying the statue should be removed. I agree that there should not be a statue of Christopher Columbus uh, at all, especially in um, the United States. And also in uh, Baltimore, we see a protest against a statue of Christopher Columbus and uh, in Baltimore, they took a sledgehammer to it. They did, so now I'm against uh, defacing or vandalizing, spitting on. Uh, I'm against things like that against these Confederate monuments. They should be taken down a proper way and they should be put in museums. They should be put in museums. Okay. I'm against destroying them. With Christopher Columbus, what's interesting is, number one, Columbus was responsible for the murder of 12 to 25 million indigenous people. And this is based upon the estimate from Bartolomeu de las Casas, Bartolomeu de las Casas, who was was a right reverend bishop who traveled with Columbus on on some of his voyages and kept a diary. And he said that Columbus was responsible for the... uh, uh, decimation, the murder of 12 to 25 million indigenous people, Columbus and his men, right? So you you have this, and when we look at Columbus, uh, Columbus helped to lay uh, to, to help lay and expand uh, the foundation of slavery, 
and 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 take it into the so-called new world, okay, uh, on his four voyages, and he opened up the so-called new world to European nations to come into these new lands and exploit uh, these new territories, enslave the people, steal their land, uh, steal their natural resources, their gold, silver, etc., set up slave plantations like we see in Haiti and Jamaica and Cuba, Puerto Rico, um, and these respective uh, countries are going to then use this newfound wealth to rebuild their uh, respective nations that were devastated coming out of the dark ages of the late uh, 1400s. Okay, so this is what Columbus did. Now, the one of the important things to understand about Columbus is even though um, we were taught in school that Columbus discovered America, and some schools still teach this. When you study where Columbus went on his four voyages, he never came to the land that we call the United States of America. Columbus never came to the land that we call the United States of America. The closest he came here was Cuba, which is 90 miles away, which is one of the reasons why we need to stop telling our children that Columbus discovered America. Okay, so you have all these protests taking place now. And it's shedding a spotlight on how miseducated about history so many people are, including adults. In Georgia, we are seeing a, a debate over the reliefs of uh, on Stone Mountain, which are the raised carvings on Stone Mountain, which is a huge, huge mountain in Georgia. Okay, and on Stone Mountain, you have these three reliefs. Uh, these three carvings of Stonewall, Colonel Stonewall Jackson, uh, General Robert E. Lee, and Jefferson Davis. Jefferson Davis was the president of the Confederacy, okay? And these were all Confederate officers, okay? They fought on behalf of the South to keep slavery intact. In the case of uh, General Robert E. Lee and uh, Stonewall Jackson, uh, those two were slave owners. Jefferson Davis, I'm not sure, but those two I know were slave owners. And they fought on behalf of the South to keep slavery intact and keep African people enslaved because they profited for it, from it and the South profited from it as well. Now, I was at Stone Mountain uh, last month, third weekend in July, Liberated Minds Black Homeschool and Education Expo. And um, I filmed my portion of the documentary Black Friday, uh, part two, uh, the African Global Legacy. I'm in that documentary uh, with Professor uh, Professor the Common A, and Dr. Claude Anderson. I, I'm not sure if Dr. Claude Anderson is going to be in the second one. He's in the first one. Uh, it's from director Rick Mathis. So we climbed to the top of uh, Stone Mountain. It took about a half hour because that's a steep mountain. That thing's crazy. And uh, we filmed my portion of the film there on Stone Mountain. So this is my first time being up there. And I've been to Atlanta before. I've seen the mountain before, and I've seen the release. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. But Stone Mountain is an actual amusement park. They've turned Stone Mountain into an amusement park. And the attraction is this mountain. You can climb up it. Climb up it. People use it for training, like for um Athletes and things like this, where people want to get in shape, they use it for training. But one of the main attractions is seeing this huge mountain with these with these carvings in it of these Confederate officers. So then, when you get to the top of the mountain, 
they have a gift shop there, and you can get refreshments and things like this, but you can get souvenirs. They have mugs. They have keychains. They have hats with these Confederate officers on it, with the, with the picture of these Confederate officers, the, the carvings, all right? So now you have a debate in Georgia over whether or not um, they should do something with it. Now, it took them years to finish this uh, carving, to th- th- finish these reliefs. And AtlantaBlackStar.com has an article dealing with this. But this is causing this discussion to take place. This is causing people to look at uh, all these Confederate monuments, all these Confederate statues, which is good. Because when you actually understand when most of them were put up and why most of them were put up, it didn't have anything to do with honoring history or preserving history for the most part. This had to do with terrorizing African-Americans and, and reminding African-Americans of their place in life because you, you have two major periods of time when these monuments are put up. One is from 1895 to 1915, which was uh, 1895 is the year before Plessy versus Ferguson, which reinstitutes the Jim Crow law, separate but equal. 1915 is the first year of uh, is the second year of World War One. 1915 is the year that the movie The Birth of a Nation comes out, which rejuvenates and revitalizes the Ku Klux Klan because the Ku Klux Klan had pretty much died out by 1915. So from 1895 to 1915, you have a huge spike in the number of Confederate monuments and and you have a huge increase because of Plessy versus Ferguson and and a reversal of African-Americans rights. You have a huge increase in the terrorism against African-Americans. Terrorism by white supremacist groups and things like this. You have an increase in the number of lynchings of African-Americans as well. Okay. And um, also this leads us into the Great Migration starting in 1915, Great Migration from 1915 to 1960, where you have 5 million African-Americans who are going to migrate uh, from the South up North and out West. And, it's, it's really, and the reason why it's really sparking in during World War One. Yes, you have Henry Ford, who's making, who starts making cars in 1908, but you're going to have a huge increase starting. They, they, when you study the Great Migration, they really started in 1915 because you're going to have about five million white men, sorry, about five million men who go to World War One, right? They leave the U.S. but they fight, go fight in World War One. And this causes a labor vacuum. This causes a labor shortage. So you have these, a lot of these northern companies, northern corporations, railroad uh, uh, companies and things like this, who are going to market to African-Americans down south and lure them up north. In some cases, pay their relocation fees, pay for them to travel up north to work in these plants. So when you have this influx of African-Americans coming into these northern cities, what this is going to do is increase racial tensions, put a greater strain on public services, a greater strain on the educational system, cause racial strife, put a greater, create more competition also for jobs and things like this, right? So this is going to take place. Then in 1919, 
when World War One, because World War One ends in 1918, the following year, 1919, if all these white men come back, it's going to explode in, with over 25 major race riots across the country. 1919 is known as the Red Summer. 1919 is known as the Red Summer. You have over 25 major race riots across this country. Okay, so then in um, now also important to keep in mind when the movie The Birth of a Nation came out, we had protests against the movie The Birth of a Nation. The NAACP organized protests. Birth of a Nation debuted February 8, 1915. We had protests against the movie The Birth of a Nation when it went to debuted in Boston. William Monroe Trotter organized protests against this movie because we understood when we were under attack. I mean, they were lynching African Americans like crazy. You uh, around that time, somewhere between 50 to 60, they're lynching a year. In most cases, no one arrested. Okay? You're going to have situations where they're taking, you have photographers, they're taking pictures of the lynchings, of the crowd, and they're turning these into postcards. They're actually selling postcards, lynching postcards. Okay? 1916, you have a song by a man named Harry C. Brown. Harry C. Brown. He records a song for the Columbia uh, Graphophone Company, which later becomes Columbia Records. It's called N-Word Love a Watermelon, ha, ha, ha. N-Word Love a Watermelon, ha, ha, ha. And he used the real N-I-G-G-E-R. He used the real word. And this was lampooning and making fun of and degrading African-American men, calling them all types of derogatory racial epithets. This is a song, popular song. And and negatively associating African Americans with watermelons. This is a climate. So then you have another uh, large amount of monuments being erected from 1955 to 1970 during the Civil Rights Movement. Okay, the year after Brown versus Board of Education was 1954. You're going to have another large amount of these monuments erected, and these monuments are erected. They weren't erected right after the Civil War ends. Most of them. Most of them are erected starting in the late uh, 19th century, which are the 1800s, late 1895 on. And MotherJones.com has an article about this. MotherJones.com has an article about this um, called The Real Reason. um, What is that called? The Real Reason Why. Uh, the real story behind all those Confederate statues, the real story behind all those Confederate statues. That's MotherJones.com. Check that out. MotherJones.com, the real story behind all those Confederate statues. Okay. So you have to understand this history. Okay. And these are some of the things we deal with at the African History Network. I have presentations dealing with different periods of history at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Okay. So, you know, a people's history teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past in the present and the future. A people's history teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past in the present and the future to meet their needs and solve their problems. A people's history deals with the problems of the people's history teaches them how to deal with the problems of the past in the present and the future to meet their needs and solve their problems. Okay. Willie said that song is what the ice cream trucks played. Yeah. You still have some ice cream trucks today that play, play that song. It took the melody from a earlier song called Turkey in the straw. Okay. And then you're also going to have another song that comes out, think around 1913 something like that called zip coon which is going to use the same melody as well okay um 
I have a presentation that I'll, I'll be doing. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'll have a DVD coming out soon dealing with that because I talked about that on Steve Hood's show. So um, uh, we have something I have something uh, on that coming out in the next week or so. So in Georgia, now you have people debating over the um, Stone Mountain reliefs, the Stone Mountain carvings of these three Confederate officers. And some people uh, make the argument that there's no difference between George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, who were presidents and slave owners, in comparison to General Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis. Now, this is the argument that Donald Trump made uh, this past week. Okay, he said, what do you think about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think about George Washington? Things like this. He said, well, they were slave owners also. Okay, but there's a difference. Now, I'm I'm not fans of George Washington or Thomas Jefferson. But when they have statues and they have monuments, they don't have statues and monuments because they were slave owners. They have statues and monuments despite the fact that they were slave owners. They, have, they, they don't have statues and monuments of Jefferson or, uh, or Washington or um, uh, even uh, Andrew Jackson, okay? It's not because they were slave owners. It's despite the fact that they were slave owners because they were presidents. When you look at, Tom, when you look at Thomas Jefferson, he wrote the majority of the Declaration of Independence. I'm, I'm sorry. He wrote the majority of the U.S. Constitution, okay? He was part— part of the authors, one of the authors of the Declaration of Independence, but the majority of the U.S. Constitution, Thomas Jefferson wrote, and he was a U.S. president. When you look at George Washington, George Washington, under the, under the U.S. Constitution, first president under the U.S. Constitution, not the Articles of the Confederation, but the U.S. Constitution, um, and I'm not a fan of Jefferson. I'm not a fan of any of them. I'm not a fan of Washington. Washington signed the Fugitive Slave Law, 1793, uh, he was a slave owner, and when he died, he and his wife, Martha, collectively owned 318 slaves. But the statues of Washington are not because he was a slave owner. But when you look at the, these Confederate monuments, these Confederate monuments are solely because these people were Confederate generals and fought on behalf of the South, okay? And they fought to keep slavery intact. They fought to keep slavery as a system. Some of them were slave owners who fought to keep slavery intact, and they picked up arms against the U.S., committed a treasonous act, picked up arms against the U.S. So the only reason, for the most part, that they're celebrated is because they committed treason, picked up arms against the U.S., and fought to keep slavery intact. This is why they're honored. Okay, so there's a so so, so you have that diff, you have that difference there. Now, I'm not for naming I'm not for any more statues of Jefferson and Washington and Andrew Jackson and, and any of these others. I'm not for more statues of them or schools named after them, things like this. But there is a difference between those monuments. And most countries don't have statues and monuments, things like this, honoring traitors to the country. They just don't do that. If you study history. In Germany, there are no, you cannot name schools and they don't have statues to Nazis. They don't have streets named after Nazis and things like this in Germany. They don't, that's against the law. So also what's coming into question is that you have 10 U.S. Army bases in the South named after Confederate officers like Fort Bragg and Fort Hood. So people are saying, well, maybe it's time to change the names of these, of these Army bases also. 
Now, many people ask the question, well, after you take down the statues, now what? What do you do now? What's next? Or they'll say, well, taking down, uh, taking down symbols of white supremacy doesn't change white supremacy. That doesn't change anything. But it's important to understand that symbols help to unite people around certain ideologies. And in this case, symbols help to further miseducate people to the real history of the Civil War and why the Civil War was fought. Okay? And because most people think the Civil War was fought for over states' rights. And when you actually read why the various states, there were 11 states that secede from the Union starting December 20th, 1860, with South Carolina, when you read uh, their statements of succession, they make it clear they were seceding from the Union to keep slavery intact. They thought Lincoln was going to free the slaves. Lincoln ran on the um, Lincoln belonged to the Republican Party, which was founded uh, March 20th, 1854. And the Republican Party was organized by groups of abolitionists. So Lincoln wins the presidency November 6th, 1860. And December 20th, 1860, the following month, about six weeks later, South Carolina succeeds from the Union. And they, the, these states thought that Lincoln was going to free the slaves. So much so that by February 1st, you're going to have six additional states to succeed from the Union. So then in March of 1861, put by February 1st of 1861, right, the following year, you're going to have six other states to succeed from the Union. These seven states, starting with South Carolina, they're going to form Confederate States of America. So then in March, when um, Lincoln in his inaugural address, March of 1861, he makes it clear that he has no plans to uh, abolish slavery in territories that still have slavery, okay, to try to stop the bleeding, to try to stop the succession. But it doesn't work. You're going to have four other states that succeed from the Union also. So then April 12, 1861, you have the uh, Confederate attack on Fort Sumter in South Carolina. Which was a government, which was a government uh, arsenal. Um, it was uh, a government arsenal, Fort Sumter, and this starts the Civil War, U.S. Civil War, and it goes all the way to June second, eighteen sixty-five. But many people are confused about why the Civil War was fought in the first place and why the South succeeded from the Union. But symbols help to unite people around certain ideologies. And in this case, help to further miseducate people to why the Civil War was actually fought in the first place. So the next logical step after you take down these monuments, after you take down these statues, the next logical step is to correct the educational curriculum that is miseducating people in the first place. Because when people are miseducated about history, many of the actions that they have are based upon a miseducation. Your thoughts create feelings. Your feelings create actions and behaviors. Your actions and behaviors create results. So when you're miseducated about history, then uh, policies that you advocate for or politicians that you vote for who are proposing policies to deal with conditions, if you don't have an accurate understanding of how that condition came into existence, then you will uh, 
possibly vote for the wrong candidate and support the wrong remedies to the conditions because you don't understand the history of it in the first place. And this is why understanding the U.S. Civil War was so important. So uh, on Facebook, they talked, uh, Leonard said, no thyself. Vivian said, uh, good evening. Uh, Michael just joining in difficult week, just listening in. Okay, Vivian, hope it gets better for you. One more day in the week. Uh, Linus, brother, we need your teachings on every form of mass media in this country, starting in our churches and other black folks meeting places. Thanks, my brother. You are possibly affecting our liberation. Theodora said, teach, wake us up. Okay. All right. So if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, we can we can do that. Um, you can email me at info, I-N-F-O, at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, info, I-N-F-O, at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, um, and we can set it up. Uh, so we'll post this here on the thread of the broadcast. Want me to speak uh, to your organization. Yeah. Email me at uh, info at uh, African History. Actually, just go to my website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can email me through the website, right? AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We can set it up. We'll work out the details. We'll make it happen. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? Um, I'm going to go to some more of your comments. Then we have to take a quick break. And then what I'm going to do, um, August 16th, Wednesday, August 16th, 2017, last week on News One Now with Roland Martin. Roland interviewed uh, Dr. James Lowen, Dr. James Lowen, who wrote the book, Lies My Teacher Told Me, Lies My Teacher Told Me. Now, he's a historian, and he talked about the Civil War, why it was really fought. They got into some deep history. On the panel was my friend, Dr. Greg Carr, chair of the Afro-American Studies Department at Howard University. And if you listen to my Sunday night show, the African History Network show on 9, 10 a.m. the Superstation, you heard me interview uh, Dr. Greg Carr also because he was just here in Detroit this past weekend for the 35th Annual African World Festival, the 35th Annual African World Festival, right? And I was there with he and Dr. Valethea Watkins, and I did my presentation uh, on Saturday. He spoke on Saturday. I did my presentation on Saturday. So, I had, so thanks to everybody who came out to my presentation on Saturday. So my presentation, we have it available. You can order it from our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. It's called African-American Resistance in the Era of Donald Trump, Voter Suppression, Reparations, and How Elections Have Consequences. African-American Resistance in the Era of Donald Trump, Voter Suppression, Reparations, and How Elections Have Consequences. Okay, All of my DVD presentations are at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We actually have that presentation in a bundle pack, so you get six DVDs for $60. And when you and when you order that one, so the version you're going to get there, actually three presentations on that DVD, um, uh, that, that one DVD. But you, uh, we have a bundle pack where you get six of my DVDs for $60. Uh, it's a Reclaiming uh, the African Mind bundle pack, okay? And that presentation is in there, dealing with African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, all right? Go to some more of your comments here, and I'm going to post... Um, uh, information here also uh, you can if you like this type of information you can register for the online course that I teach ancient Kemet the Moors and the Ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school 
ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. It's a 12-hour, six-week online course that I teach. We do a thousands of years of history. Um, we do a historical events leading up to the transatlantic slave trade. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over again. Normally, we do it on Friday, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But this Friday, I'll be with Renoko Rashidi because he's here in Detroit for the weekend doing a series of lectures. So I'll be with him Friday and Saturday and probably Sunday. So uh, we're going to move it to this Saturday. We'll do 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. because we'll be done with this lecture by the end Saturday. I'll be able to get back to the office. Uh, but we just posted information, so there's register here, and it's at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Okay? So you can, so as soon as you register for the course, you can you can watch the, the previous two sessions, and you'll be ready for session number three, and we have um, 20 hours of bonus content also. Okay? All right. Uh, so that's uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. It's an online course that I teach. And there's also a bundle pack where you can register for all four online courses that I teach for one uh, for one price. I think it's $80. Okay, Karen said, tell it. Leonard said, know thyself. Uh, Bernadine said, tell us. Aaron said, great info. Willie said, fact, we, should, we shouldn't take them down. We should use a spotlight and tell a real history like you're doing. No, we should take them down. And you can use it to spotlight and teach the real history. We should take them down because they will put up to terrorize African-Americans if you actually understand the history behind it. We should put them in a museum and put a historical marker in its place that tells that tells the history of why it was erected in the first place and what it was. John in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, European in alignment with AHN and protests and Nazis, white supremacists. Okay, John. All right. In the backers, all right. Tia, good evening. Diane, uh, and Confederate states lost the war, and they they have been mad with black people ever since. Well, they weren't just mad with African Americans; they were mad with the North, because it wasn't African Americans who initiated the Civil War. These were this was the North. These were European. Well, the South attacked the 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 the, the Confederacy attacked Fort Sumter, but they were mad at the North. Okay. And they were mad at African Americans, but it wasn't African Americans who were in control of the of the Union. These were, these were white people, okay, control of the Union. So they were mad at the North. And when you study the Ku Klux Klan, Ku Klux Klan was founded December twenty fourth, eighteen sixty five, in Pulaski, Tennessee. Okay, they were founded the same month that the Thirteenth Amendment was ratified and adopted. So the Thirteenth Amendment which officially abolishes slavery, officially ends slavery, ratified December 6, 1865, adopted December 18, 1865. Then about a week later, December 24, 1865, the Ku Klux Klan is founded. Now, when you study the Ku Klux Klan, many people think they just attacked and terrorized African-Americans. No, that's not true. We got the brunt of it, but they also attacked and terrorized white Republicans, okay, and Jews, all right? So from 1882 to 1964, you have about 3,400 African Americans who are lynched by the Ku Klux Klan, but you also have 1,297 white people who are lynched by the Ku Klux Klan also because they saw, because the, 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 these were Democrats who founded the Republican Party and the, 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 I'm sorry, these were Democrats who founded the Ku Klux Klan. And 
the Democratic Party was huge in the South. This was the party of the aristocrats, the plantation owners, the slave owners, things like this. So the Republican Party was the counter to that. So they saw Republicans as the enemies. Okay, because Lincoln was a Republican. Frederick Douglass was a Republican. A lot of, you know, early on, African Americans were Republicans. The change is going to happen because of the Civil Rights Act of 64, Voting Rights Act of 65. So Civil Rights Act is signed July of 64. Voting Rights Act is signed August 6th, 1965. You have affirmative action, September 1965, Executive Order 11246, September of 1965, about September 24th, September 25th, 1965. You're going to have Fair Housing Act 1968. Okay. You're going to have these things. These are signed into law by President Lyndon Johnson who was a Southern segregationist Democrat, but he was pushed by the civil rights movement, by Dr. King, by Ralph Abernathy, by uh, James Foreman, by the big six and those in the civil rights movement. He was pushed to do the right thing. He was forced into greatness. Okay. He was a Southern segregationist who oftentimes used the N word. Right. But he was pushed. He was somebody who could be pushed to do the right thing. And this is what people have to understand when they pick a political candidate. See, the, 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 one of the most important things to understand is that this is what happens when you don't have an agenda. You focus on personality. You focus on personality as opposed to policy. See, one of the most important things to look at is what, which candidate can use their position to help create an environment for you to push your agenda the farthest and get the most accomplished. Which candidate can use their position, can use their influence to create an environment for you to push your agenda the farthest and get the most accomplished? This is something extremely, extremely important that many people don't seem to understand. Okay, Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson was a Southern segregationist. And he, came, he became president in November 1963 after Kennedy was assassinated. But he was somebody who could be pushed in, in, to do the right thing and advocate on behalf. So he comes out and advocates for the Civil Rights Act of 64. And he does arm twisting in the Congress to get them to vote for this. So then when the civil rights leaders come to him, Dr. King and the rest, they come to him for a voting rights act of 65. He says, look, I just I just used my political capital the year before to get the civil rights bill passed. I can't go back to the Congress again and get this passed. But he was able to be pushed to advocate on behalf of the Voting Rights Act and sign it in the law, August 6, 1965. And he told them, he said, you, he said, basically, he said, you're going to have to dramatize this. He said, you're going to have to, he, he talked about having marches and things like this. He said, you got to dramatize this. He said, the people, he said, uh, uh, a, a white farmer on a tractor in Iowa or Idaho needs to be able to see on his television why this needs to happen. This is one of the reasons why they have those marches, like the March on Selma and things like this, to dramatize it. Because... People have to understand elected officials want to get reelected. 
So they have to ha- they have to be able to justify to their constituents why they're voting for this law. They ba- they have to be able to justify to their constituents why they're voting for this law. Also, uh, Johnson signed in the law Medicare and Medicaid. I think it was sixty eight. He signed in the law Medicare and Medicaid also, which are huge, which are huge. Okay, so. Um, Novi on Facebook said, okay, I agree with that. Don't get rid of them. Museum is better. Not just a museum. You have to, the next step is to correct the educational curriculum. Some people say change the educational curriculum. No, I say correct it because it was, it was wrong in the first place. So you have to correct what's wrong. So Donald Trump just came out a couple of days ago and he said they're trying to change our history, taking down the monuments. He said they're trying to change our history. No, the history needs to be corrected because most people don't understand the history. And Donald Trump sure as hell doesn't understand history. That ignorant, that dude right there. He's, he's the epitome of white privilege. Donald Trump is the epitome. He used to post, look up, post, look up white privilege in the dictionary. You'll see a picture of Donald Trump there. Because the only reason why he's president, well, you have Russian hacking. And he, I don't think he's going to make it to the end of the year. If you saw the Rachel Maddow show yesterday, last night, because they're steadily uh, confirming information in the dossier that Christopher Steele put together. And then the, the head of the company that uh, commissioned the dossier turned over 40,000 documents to the U.S. Congress. I think it was the U.S. Senate he was interviewed by. He was interviewed uh, by them for 10 hours, but he turned over 40,000 documents to them, okay? And this was all research to compile that dossier. This fool is not going to make it, and uh, I predicted this. I said from the beginning of the year, I don't think he's going to make it to the end of the year. I think he's going to be forced to resign. He may make it past December 31st, but he ain't going to make it too far into 2018. He's going to be forced to resign from office. And Mitch McConnell knows this, and you got some other senators and, and, and Republican congressmen who know this also. This fool's going down, and he knows it too. This fool is going down. Okay, so um, let's take a quick break here, and we posted that. Okay, uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Um, all my DVD lectures are there. We have a lot of information there for you. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right. Uh, let's see. We have to take a quick break here. And where is this here? Okay. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to go to uh, that clip from News One Now with Roland Martin dealing with the uh, true his the true history of uh, the Confederate monuments and why they represent racism. Okay. And we'll go to some more of your comments also. Calling number is uh, 914-338-1375. 914-338-1375 is the uh, calling number if you have a question or comment also. 914-338-1375 is the calling number. Okay. All right. Um here is the trailer for um, Elementary Genocide Part 3, Elementary Genocide Part 3, uh, which I am featured in. 
from the creator of the award-winning documentary series, Elementary Genocide 1 and 2, comes the third and last installment, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. From kindergarten, everything is designed in the curriculum to murder your psychic abilities, to murder your intellectual possibilities, to murder your creative possibilities, because that is the way the curriculum is designed to keep Africans from developing the capacity to recreate themselves and their communities and their families and their institutions by their own hands. Let us remember that the pistol grip of today was that slave grip of yesterday. Let us remember that the handcuffs of today, Peter Miles, were the ropes and the shackles of yesterday. Shit that those slave masters of yesterday have become the judges and the prosecutors and the police departments of today. And there's just some things that are not comfortable for white people. They're not comfortable for them to talk about the possibility that Africans were here before the Europeans. Contributions for African people, not just in America, but African people worldwide, is not incorporated into the curriculum. One of the ways that you keep a people oppressed is to not show them their true history. Because if I can make you feel inferior, I can control anything that you Black people have bought into white supremacy and they don't know it. It's like instead of fighting the picture of white supremacy or the picture that white supremacy painted of black people, we've accepted it. The oppressor knows that if they put our contributions into the curriculum, if they put our children into the curriculum, put them into the picture, put them into the frame, then we'll tear this thing out the frame. So we as a community have to take hold of the educational process of our children and we have to begin to take our children down that road of ma'at truth and justice and righteousness in order to educate them in a way that they will become productive citizens, not only of the country, but of the world. Well, African liberation has a lot of dimensions. You know, we're talking about one, African peoples all over the world, most of whom are not free to self-determine their lives and their future. Freeing the lands of Africa, freeing the nation states of Africa so that they can self-determine and develop their own industry and their own culture and their own way of life with an economic system that can support them by utilizing the wealth in the ground that is theirs. Most of the education that we're getting now, either on elementary level, junior high, high school, all of the educational systems that we don't own, uh, all of those denigrate all of the accomplishments of African So that is the trailer for Elementary Genocide Part 3, uh, Academic Holocaust, featuring Professor James Small, Professor Kaba Hiawatha Kamene, Shahrazad Ali, uh, myself, Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network. Uh, you have um, David Banner in there also. So um, we'll have that available at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, African HistoryNetwork.com this evening, and we have um, Elements of Genocide uh, Part 1 and 2 uh, there as well, okay? And we'll have a bundle pack also, okay, as well as you can, you'll be able to get all three for $50. All right. Uh, Patricia said, this is really something I want to see. Tell us more about it. Are you talking about, you talking about Elementary Genocide Part 3? Um 
World-renowned, world-renowned journalist and award-winning filmmaker Raheem Shabazz presents the third installment of his documentary series, Elementary Genocide, Academic Holocaust. The first two uh, documentaries in the series, uh, The School to Prison Pipeline uh, and Elementary Genocide 2, The Board of Education versus the, versus the Board of Incarceration. The Elementary Genocide Part 3, Academic Holocaust, adds more statistical proof of the scholastic inequalities faced by original people around the country. The documentary revisits the importance of education and its impact on self-image, family structure, financial freedom, and the collective future of African indigenous people in America and abroad. With commentary from some of the 21st century's greatest minds, of the African diaspora and uh, African diaspora in America, such as uh, Dr. Financial Scholar and Social Commentator Dr. Boyce Watkins, esteemed Pan-African Scholar and Professor uh, James Small, and Kabahaya Waka Kamene, two of my teachers, international homeschooling advocate Samori Kamara, who I just saw at the Black Homeschooling Conference in Atlanta last um, uh, last month in July, hip hop artists in education. Advocate David Banner, national talk show host and lecturer Michael M. Hotel, and best-selling author Shaherzad Ali, um, they're able to demonstrate, able to illustrate the hypocrisy behind America's public school system, and how the infrastructure is designed to keep people of color from developing the capacity to create themselves, their families, and their institutions with their own hands. And then we also deal with solutions as well. Okay. All right. So that's elementary genocide part three. Um, we'll get that up um, at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. That'll be up tonight. You'll be able to order that. All right. Um, so Tia said the decision to homeschool my boys has been the best thing I could have done for education. They are still in elementary and I have complete control of their curriculum Check out the blackhomeschool.com, the blackhomeschool.com for articles dealing with homeschooling and resources. Also, the blackhomeschool.com is really good. Um, Melissa, how are you doing? And uh, Patricia, I'd like to get all three episodes. Yeah, we'll have a bundle pack. It'll be available about the next half hour. So we have a bundle pack. Uh, you get all three for $50. Okay. And um, I have bundle packs in my lectures there also. We have one where you get 23 of my presentations for like $150, all right? Okay, so um, on News One Now with Roland Martin on August 25th. I'm sorry, that's tomorrow. August 15th, okay, um, 2017. Roland interviewed um, Dr. James Lowen. Dr. James Lowen is a historian and author. He's the author of um, one book that he wrote, probably his most popular book, is called Lies My Teacher Told Me. Lies My Teacher Told Me. Okay. And they dealt with the true history of Confederate monuments and why they represent racism. Also on the panel was my friend, Dr. Greg Carr, chair of the Afro-American Studies Department at Howard University. Okay. Let's go to this clip. Uh, 
uh, folks, uh, joining us right now is also historian and author uh, James Lowen. Uh, James, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, when you see what's going on, when you see the defense of these statues, there's a difference between history and history. Hmm. Well, wait a minute. That was kind of a uh, almost a feminist comment there, and that is the problem. But the the issue. No, there's a, no, I know. No, history because well, let's just be clear. Women couldn't vote. This yeah. country was this country was yeah. made for rich male landowners. So that's that. why I say history in history. Yes. yes okay. Uh, what I think that you folks and the mayor are getting right is, and the president is getting wrong, is this very simple fact. Lee, for example, is on that horse, on that statue, on that high plinth, and on that hill in Charlottesville, precisely because he led a, the military side of a movement for treason on behalf of slavery. When we put George Washington on a statue, we don't put him on there because he was a slave owner. We put him on there despite the fact that he was a slave owner. We put him on there because he led the United States Armed Forces during the Revolutionary War. We put him on there because he was the first president. We put him on there because he did a really good, uh, made a really good gesture, followed by, among others, Nelson Mandela, by resigning his presidency after, after two terms instead of trying to stay on forever. There's a lot of good things that George Washington di did that we are trying to honor. Same for, I'm not a big fan of Thomas Jefferson, but the same thing for Thomas Jefferson. Um, there's no doubt that when we honor Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee and so on, it's precisely because they led a movement on behalf of slavery, on behalf of white supremacy. And to honor them for that is the problem. Now, these people who are saying, well, aren't you erasing history? The answer to that is very simple. The statue of Robert E. Lee doesn't even tell any history. It just tells two things. He was a, a great man, and we honor him. It doesn't even say on it that he led the Confederacy, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. what it tells. Mm -hmm. If you take him down and you just put up a historical marker saying, right here, there was a statue of Robert E. Lee. It was put up during the nadir of race relations, 1923 or 4, I think it was, right in the middle of the most white supremacist era in our thinking mm -hmm. in the entire past. And it came down in, let's say, 2018, if it takes until next spring. Right. Um, and here's why it came down. Then you're telling history on this historical marker. There's no erasure of history. There's an erasure of the love and admiration and respect that we are currently giving Lee by having him up, up there. It is illegal in Germany to name anything after Nazis. Mm -hmm. That's right. mm -hmm. Yet we have streets. We have schools, army bases. We have facilities, right. army bases named after what I call domestic terrorists and folks who committed treason. Mm -hmm. right. Isn't it amazing? I mean, if, if I were African American and did my basic training in Fort Hood uh, or in Fort Bragg or any of the other uh, 11 and all uh, army bases, they're not only named for. Uh, Confederate generals. In at least two cases, they're named for really bad ones who lost almost every battle they ever got in. So it's not as if we're honoring them for their military prowess. Mm -hmm. But they also, if you just read what some of these people uh, uh, argued and said in the 1860s, it's astounding. I mean, it's so racist, we wouldn't even, uh, it, it would be hard to put it into a uh, high school history textbook. People would think, well, you're inciting to riot. Mm -hmm. and, and then we name things for them. Not even the basis. Mm -hmm. Folks, 
the Rus the U.S. Senate Russell Building. Come on, mm -hmm. come on. Who is just to the left of us is named after one of the greatest segregationist racists in American history. Say it. Say it. The current Russell Building. And when Robert E. Lee surrendered at Appomattox, he urged all of his followers to furl this flag. And in one statement, he said, put it in your attics. He didn't want this flag flown at his funeral. He didn't want to be buried in his Confederate uniform because he said this was a symbol and the uniform's address for treason. That was South Carolina Congressman Jim Clyburn in 2015 explaining why the Confederate flag should not fly at government, bu government buildings. Now, let's continue to talk about uh, these flags and the symbols. Um, of course, we, we still, we talk with our panel here as well, uh, we talk with historian and author uh, James Lowen. James, you, you said in the break that you have another solution. Yeah, I think all these uh, Confederate monuments need to go in one place. Uh, this is kind of what Hungary did. This is kind of what Russia did with all their monuments to Lenin, Stalin, and the local communist leaders in each country and in each uh, place. Uh, Charlottesville, it turns out, has something like four or five of them, if you count them all. And they could go into one park, and it could be called the Nader Park. That's N-A-D-I-R. And this means, this is an English language word, a lot of people don't know it, meaning low point. And the, the meaning of it is we had in this country what's called the nadir of race relations. This is the period from 1890 to about 1940 when racism actually got worse and worse. Um, white folks in their ideology went more racist than even they did during slavery time. I can explain that if you want. And things got worse. Now this doesn't fit with how we usually teach American history. And I know because I wrote this book, Lies, my teacher told me I'm the only American ever to have read 18 high school history textbooks. It damn near killed me too. <laughs> um, and they all tell this story. And this story means we started out great and we've been getting better and better and better and better, kind of automatically ever since. But in race relations, around 1890, we started getting worse. Um, that's when the redeemers came in. And that's when the statues went up. Right. And so these statues need to express that by being put into a nadir park that would really teach, most Americans don't even know the word, that would teach Americans that things do go get worse sometimes and did get worse that time. And here are some actual artifacts that show how worse they got, if I can say it but that way. And that would be a useful use of these darn things. Uh, wouldn't tear them down. Some of them, some of them are very good statues artistically. They'd still be there, but they would be in a teaching context. They'd all be in one place, just like all the communist ones in Budapest. And again, a lot of the, the, you know, the, the Charlottesville, um, um, uh, uh, whatever, I'm not gonna call it a protest, uh, uh, Greg Carr yes, uh, was in front of the Robert Lee statue. Yes, sir. This is what yes. Robert E. Lee, first of all, who wasn't from Virginia, uh, this is what he right. said. This is Robert E. Lee. Yes. Uh, I think it wiser, moreover, not to keep open the sores of war, but to follow the examples of those nations who endeavored to obliterate the marks of civil strife and to commit to oblivion the feelings it engendered. This is what conservative Rich Lowry wrote in the New York Post. The statues have often been part of an effort to whitewash the Confederacy, and it's one thing for a statue to be merely a resting place for pigeons. It's another for it to be a fighting cause for neo-Nazis. Lee himself opposed building Confederate monuments in the immediate aftermath of the war. 
again, and then he, then that particular quote, I think it wiser not to keep open the sores of war. Greg. Right. Well, I'd say this very quickly. Remember, Robert E. Lee went to West Point, and shout out to the young sister who's the first African-American woman to be the captain yes. at West Point now. But uh, Lee went to school with General Howard, Oliver Howard. These guys sided up, they fought, and then Lee lost. So his, he realized we lost, so we have to bury this. I would encourage everybody to go to C-SPAN and look at the all-night debate over the Confederate flag that the South Carolina legislature had a couple of years ago, and you see this thing come out. But, uh, Professor Lowen, you made a very interesting couple of suggestions, I think. And, you know, there's only one place in this country that I know where that's been tried on a micro scale, and that's at Robert E. Lee's old plantation home. Now, 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 now Donald Trump did get this right by mistake yesterday. Robert E. Lee married George Martha Washington's granddaughter because out there, that used to be a plantation in Arlington. They dug up all the Confederate soldiers, put them in a circle around a monument out there in Arlington National Cemetery, the Confederate monument. They don't even have that for the Buffalo soldiers. They got a little plaque out there on a little stone. But the question becomes, what happens when you put all that stuff in one place? Now we've got a revised curriculum, the work that you've been doing, the work that you all are doing. Now we've got to attack policy. But, Roland, I think you put it right where it needs to be, brother. Just like they argued at the South Carolina legislature in that all-night debate, this stuff has to be put somewhere where it will transform this country. We have another chance to transform this country. And as you put in your editorial there, that call to charge, this is a revolution, and everybody better be on the right side of history. Right. Liz? Yeah, these symbols, these statutes are uh, a reminder of our oppression, and anyone who can argue that it's important for us to maintain that is wrong. There's no way to get around that. And as you pointed out, you know, these neo-Nazis and racists are just dumb. They're standing out there trying to support something that a person who did not want separatists to continue. He spoke out. Robert Lee spoke out about keeping those symbols alive, was keeping the division alive after the Civil War. They're so stupid. And it's, and it's disheartening to think that anyone would support their attempt in our president to say that they had a permit, as if the, that, that gives them the authority or the right to behave in that manner to support someone who didn't want them to support a statute for him. Wendy, it is because, again, again, I need people to understand, our American education system purposely, purposely has lied. Our American education system was infiltrated by the same people who put these statues up. They don't want the truth. You see the effort today in Texas and in Tennessee to lie about what actually took place. They don't want people to know the actual truth. In Georgia, there is a, there is a monument to POWs in all previous wars. Mm -hmm. Fact, mm -hmm. that monument was actually the land where the Confederate brutalized and tortured Union soldiers. Mm -hmm. It was the Civil War version of Guantanamo Bay. Yes, it was. That's what it was. Absolutely. But the white segregationists said in the 1960s of LBJ, if you want this bill passed, you must rename it this they even, so when you go there saying we're going to honor all American POWs, that's not what took place on that land. It's not. And these monuments are not about history. These monuments are about hatred. And we need to make that very clear. And I'm so glad you brought up the education system because as an educator, you see when we talk about black and brown students, we always use this deficit language, at risk low income. It permeates throughout our society and into our educational system. And I just want to bring up a point just to show you how history repeats itself even when history is so close. Takia Thompson, mm -hmm. the person who took down this Confederate statue who was a part of it, she was arrested. 
How about that? North Carolina Central. Now Central. let me tell you something. And, and the, Durham, North Carolina is my hometown. And the folks. And, 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 but and hold those, on, DeAndre. Those, those DeAndre guys who beat DeAndre Harris. Harris right. Nobody has yet to be arrested. arrested. Come on now. But the person who took down the y'all were quick to arrest this woman. But we have on video six people, eight people beating up DeAndre Harris, and no one has been arrested. We have a problem. Our society has a problem. And if you don't believe it, look at what has happened these events. I'm upset. I'm sorry. I just no, can't no, deal. No, exactly I can't right. deal because it's too much. It's too much and we allow this to happen and it's not right. Uh, James, real quick before I got to go to a break, there has to be a massive realignment and re-education of Americans when it comes to our history and our books about the real story of America. Well, let me say this. I've gone around America for the last 10 years. I get teaching and uh, speaking engagements all across the country, usually by school systems, so I'm talking to teachers. And I have found that 60 to 65% of all teachers in my huge audiences say the following when I ask what was the number one cause for secession. They say states' rights. That is 180 degrees wrong. Wow. The South seceded for slavery and against states' rights, and they name which states and which rights really upset them. So the idea that they seceded for states' rights is another creation of this terrible... Precisely. It was Europe. done on purpose. Yes. But if you go back and read the original document from South Carolina, yes, sir. secession That's right. was about <laughs> slavery. That's, That's right. right. That's right. That's There's right. absolutely no question about it. So I read to them from, from this book I got out, the Confederate and Neo-Confederate Reader, I read the, exactly what South Carolina said. They're absolutely clear. Mississippi is absolutely clear. Folks, the book is The Confederate and Neo-Confederate Reader, The Great Truth About the Lost Cause. I'll tweet this out. I got a couple of followers, so you might get some books there. <laughs> Let me go to a break. Days on TV One. I will never lie to you. Oh, my God. Roland Martin. He doesn't want to talk to us. He wants to ignore us. Uncensored. Hell no. no. That ain't no cut it, boo. Unapologetic. No, no, that, that is fundamentally false. You are wrong. Unfiltered. He wants an America where we all look alike. He ain't talking about black people. Unrelenting. You better go work out, because you got to fight on your hands. News One Now with Roland Martin, weekdays at 7 a.m. on TV One. All right, so that was from um, August 16, 2017. Uh, that was then with the true history of Confederate monuments and why they represent racism. The true history of Confederate monuments and why they represent racism. And Roland was interviewing Dr. James Lowen, who wrote the book, Lies My Teacher Told Me. He also has a new book out, The uh, Confederate and Neo-Confederate Reader. Also on the panel was my man, Dr. Greg Carr, chair of the Afro-American Studies Department at Howard University. Okay. Now, he talked about, um, uh, so Roland and... Uh, uh, Dr. James Lowen talked about why the South really succeeded from the Union, and he talked about the statements of succession, okay, uh, which were the statements they gave, uh, the writings they gave, or why they were actually succeeding from the Union. Well, if you look, for instance, at Mississippi, when Mississippi declared their succession, part of the reason why they said our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery, the greatest material interest of the world. Our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery, 
the uh, greatest the greatest material wealth in the world. Okay, when we look at um, for instance, when we look at Louisiana, um, Louisiana said that the people of the slaveholding states are bound together by the same necessity and determination to preserve African slavery. The people of the slaveholding states are bound together, bound together by the same necessity and determination to preserve African slavery. Okay, this is Louisiana. When we look at Texas, Texas said the servitude of the African race as existing in these same as existing in these states is mutually beneficial to both bond and free and is abundantly authorized and justified by the experience of mankind and the revealed will of the almighty creator as recognized by all Christian nations. Let me repeat this. This is the state of Texas. In their statement of succession, they said the servitude of the African race as existing in these states is mutually beneficial to both bond and free. They're saying, they're saying that the slavery system was beneficial to those enslaved and to the slave masters. I don't know. I don't know what type of poll they took of enslaved Africans to, you know, determine that, you know, they felt that this was beneficial to them. I, I don't know what type of poll they took because uh, uh, I don't think they were too happy with that. But um, this is what they said is mutually beneficial to both bond and free and is abundant, abundantly authorized and justified by the experience of mankind and the revealed will of the almighty creator as recognized by all Christian nations. So they're basically saying it's God's will also. Okay. This is Texas in their statement of succession. So it's important to go and research, you know, why these states said that they were succeeding from the union and and slavery was central to it. Okay. For more information, check out the article from the, the Atlantic.com, the Atlantic.com, why there was a civil war, why there was a civil war from the Atlantic.com. Okay. Check out that article. All right. So, This is continuing. We'll continue this next week. Uh, More information is coming out uh, in regards to the real history. And people are getting a real history lesson uh, because people are finding out how much about um, history they did not know. They're finding out why the uh, U.S. Civil War was really fought. Things like this. Right. Extremely, extremely important. Okay. All right. So we have the um, Elementary Genocide Part 3. We have that available right now at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We'll post a link here. Elementary Genocide Part 3 is available now. Uh, Each copy you purchase of one, two, or three you'll get uh, one of my DVD presentations free also. Okay, we just posted the link there. 
Elementary Genocide Part 3. I'm featured in the documentary uh, from director Raheem Shabazz. Excellent documentary. Uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins, who you see on my on our Facebook fan page. Uh, also, uh, you have uh, hip-hop artist David Banner, Shahrazad Ali, Professor Kaba Hiawatha Kamene, uh, formerly known as Booker T. Coleman. You see him in the Hidden Colors documentaries, Professor James Small, and um, others as well. Uh, in the documentary, Samori, uh, Samori Kamara is in there also. Okay. All right. So um, let's continue. We just posted a link. Uh, yeah, Kanusu. Okay, I got your, I think you emailed me. I got I got your email. I just, I was just tied up. I didn't have a chance to respond to it. But okay, good. You got it. Um, uh, a great mighty walk, Dr. John Henry Clark. Okay, um, I, I need to get. I want to get to this next topic because I, I'm working on a presentation I have to give in the morning at 9 a.m. Uh, once again, those in the Detroit area, I'm doing a presentation: um, coffee, breakfast, and business. Coffee, breakfast, and business. Two five nine zero zero Greenfield Road, Suite three two six. Is that our website? AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. 25900 Greenfield Road, Suite 326, Oak Park, Michigan. Um, it's at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, 9 a.m. to 12 noon. It's a free event. Uh, breakfast is served. Uh, coffee, breakfast, and business. They have a different speaker each week. This is a business networking uh, event for African Americans. Uh, this week, I'm the uh, speaker. So my presentation is on the 13 forms of wealth. The 13 forms of wealth, keys to uh, entrepreneurship and economic empowerment for African Americans. Keys to entrepreneurship and economic empowerment for African Americans. So 13 is a number of transformation and resurrection. And uh, I deal with uh, different traits that successful uh, African American entrepreneurs need to possess. But I also tie this into history as well. So we'll deal with uh, some history of the Moors. We'll deal with some histories of ancient Kemet. Um, we'll deal with uh, also talk some about Freemasonry because the knowledge that the Moors took in Europe formed the foundation of Freemasonry. We'll deal some with Madam C.J. Walker and Annie Turnbull Malone, who actually created the black hair care industry. Annie Turnbull Malone was her mentor. Um, and we tie this into economic empowerment and leveraging our dollars in redistributing the pain through uh, economic withdrawal strategies. Uh, Dr. King, in his last speech, uh, April 3rd, 1968, he said that we have to always anchor our external direct action with the power of economic withdrawal. We have to always anchor our external direct action with the power of economic withdrawal. And um, uh, so we'll, we'll deal with that. So we'll deal with that also, okay? So it's free. Come on out, those in the uh, Detroit areas in Oak Park, Michigan, which is outside of Detroit, 9 a.m. to 12 noon, coffee, breakfast, and business. Uh, it's at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, we'll post the information again here on the thread of the broadcast. And I'll have my DVD lectures there also uh, if you want to purchase some of my DVDs. Okay, so Enoch said removing the statues would do nothing to stem the tide of racism. The Montel okay, Enoch, you came to the conversation late. Go back and watch it. I already dealt with that. I'm dealing more with just removing the statues. I already dealt with that. You're coming late to the conversation. All right. So um, 
And remember, these shows are available on audio podcast at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. So we broadcast on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Uh, uh, Blog Talk channel is BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash the African History Network show. BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash the African History Network show. Okay. So you can, um, we have these uh, on, at, uh, the audio podcast on Blog Talk. They're on iTunes also, um, the African History Network show on iTunes. But if you just go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, you can check it out there. All right. Also, those in the Detroit area have to let you know that uh, Renoko Rashidi, the world traveler, who's been to 120 islands and countries around the world, Renoko Rashidi, he'll be here in Detroit this weekend. So I'll be with Renoko Friday, Saturday, and probably Sunday also. Um he is doing a lecture series at True Oracle of God's Ministries Church, True Oracles of God Ministries Church, 1500 East State Fair uh, at Fair and Hull, H-U-L-L Street in Detroit, Michigan, 1500 East State Fair. Um, he's dealing with the African presence in America before slavery. Uh, it's Friday, August 25th, 6.30 p.m. It'll probably go to about 9 or 9.30. Saturday, August 26th. Uh, 2 p.m. to about 5 p.m., same location, uh, True Oracle of God Ministries Church, okay, uh, 25, let's say 1500 East State Fair. And I'm going to post a link here. I interviewed him on my show uh, Sunday night, okay? So I'm going to post a video of the interview that I did with him, and uh, we'll post the information here also. Uh, I don't think they have a flyer. But there's a Facebook event invite we've been posting also uh, for for uh, three days, Saturday, Sunday, uh, Friday and Saturday. Sunday, he's going to be at the Detroit Institute of Arts, Detroit Institute of Arts, 5200 Woodward uh, Avenue in Detroit. And he is doing a tour dealing with the African presence in early America. Uh, for more information, call, well, especially for the tour, because you have to, the tour is $20. You have to pay in advance. You can go to his website, drrenoco.com, drrenoco.com, D-R, Dr. Renoco, R-U-N-O-K-O, drrenoco.com uh, for information there. And you can register for the Sunday uh, tour. Also, you can email him at renoco at hotmail.com, R-U-N-O-K-O, renoco at hotmail.com uh, as well. And we're going to post the um, info here on the thread. Uh, Friday and Saturday is $12.50 per day. And uh, we posted information here on the thread of the broadcast. The interview I did with him is on YouTube at our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Michael M. Hotep on YouTube, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. All right. Okay, so. Um, let's continue here. All right, how's everybody doing? So we have Sharon uh, Ganja. I'm going to go to uh, news about Dick Gregory here in just a minute. I'm going to get some more of your comments. Uh, and I have to make sure I get out of here at 10. I have to, work, I have to finish working on this presentation. Uh, Patricia said, where is Rosa Parks' home going to go? Uh, it's moving to Germany. Uh, it is a museum piece and is now in Germany, but I understand he wants to send it back to America for historical purposes. Uh Matthew, um, how's everybody doing? 
Okay, Karen. All right. All right, so we know this past uh, Saturday uh, we lost the great um, Dick Gregory. Dick Gregory uh, passed away at age 84. Uh, also this past weekend, uh, Jerry, uh, Jerry Lewis died as well, passed away also, comedian Jerry Lewis. Uh, I interviewed Dick Gregory back in 2014, I guess hosting on the uh, Warren Valentine show. Okay, on the Empowerment Radio Network, interviewed Dick Gregory. Um, only had a, only had a chance to interview him one time. And uh, Dick Gregory was one of a kind as well. He started out as a comedian and became a civil rights activist. Was friends with Dr. King and other civil rights leaders. Um, and he's definitely going to be missed, uh, especially for his insight. Um, and not just not just his conspiracy theory. Some people like the conspiracy theory. Some people weren't that fond of the conspiracy theories. But he had a good knowledge of history as well. And he was still active in the social justice movement. Also, he was still active in the social justice movement as well. Okay, NBCNews.com as well as. Um, NBC News and um, TheRoot.com had uh, two good articles about uh, Dick Gregory. Okay, so I'm going to go to those here in just a second here. I'm looking for something. All right. Hoping I can find it here. Okay, so when we look at the article from... um, NBCnews.com. Dick Gregory, the comedian and activist who broke racial barriers in the 1960s and used his humor to spread uh, messages of social justice and nutritional health, has uh, died. He was 84 years old. Now, Dick Gregory uh, passed away late Saturday, uh, August 19th, uh, in Washington, D.C., okay, uh, after being hospitalized for about a week. His son, Christian Gregory, told the Associated Press he had suffered a severe bacterial infection. Okay, he suffered uh, a severe bacterial infection. Now, Dick Gregory had 10 children. Okay, Uh, as one of the first African-American stand-up comedians to find success with white audiences in the early 1960s, uh, Dick Gregory rose uh, from an impoverished childhood in St. Louis to win a college track scholarship. And become a celebrated uh, a satire, a sat, a satirist um, who he definitely dealt with satire, um, who deftly com- commented upon racial divisions at the dawn of the civil rights movement. Dick Gregory joked and said, "Where else in the world but America could I have lived in the worst neighborhoods, attended the worst schools, rode in the back of the bus, and get paid five thousand dollars a week just for talking about it?" Now, Dick Gregory's sharp commentary soon led him into civil rights activism, where his ability to woo audiences through humor helped bring national attention to fledgling efforts at integration and social equality for African Americans. Now, Democratic uh, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey tweeted, 
Dick Gregory's unflinching honesty and courage inspired us to fight, uh, to fight, live, laugh, and love despite it all. A tweet from actress, comedian, uh, Whoopi Goldberg said about being black in America, Dick Gregory has passed away. Condolences to his family and to us who won't have his insight to lean on. Rest in peace. Now, Dick Gregory briefly sought political office, running unsuccessfully for mayor uh, of Chicago in 1966. And he also ran for U.S. president in 1968. Uh, when he got 200,000 votes as part uh, as uh, the candidate for uh, uh, as part of the uh, Peace and Freedom Party candidates. OK, if I remember correctly, he was a write in candidate for uh, uh, Peace and Freedom. OK, uh, Peace and Freedom Party. I think he was a write in candidate, if I remember correctly. Now, in the late 1960s, he befriended uh, John Lennon of the Beatles uh, and was among one of the voices heard on John Lennon's anti-war Vietnam song, Give Peace a Chance, uh, was recorded in the Montreal hotel room where John Lennon and Yoko Ono were staging a bed-in, a bed-in for peace. An admirer of Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Dick Gregory embraced nonviolence and became a vegetarian and a marathon runner. He preached about the transformative powers of prayer, prayer and good health. He was once an overweight smoker and drinker. Um, he uh, at one point weighed 300 pounds and uh, smoked uh, at least two packs of cigarettes a day. He smoked multiple packs of uh, cigarettes a day. Also, several packs of cigarettes a day, drank heavily at one point and uh, uh, once weighed 350 pounds. All right. Then he really started focusing on health, becoming a vegetarian, things like this. Right. And that's the great Dick Gregory. A lot of us know. Okay, that's the Dick Gregory. A lot of us know. A lot of us have seen. Um, So he became uh, he focused on health, became a health guru and uh, he became uh, slim and trim and became an energetic proponent of liquid meals and raw foods. In the late 1980s, he developed and distributed products for the popular Slim Safe Bohemian Diet. Slim Slim Safe Bohemian Diet, okay? And um, he also launched the Dick Gregory Health Enterprise, uh, Enterprises, Inc., Dick Gregory Health Enterprises, Inc. That was the company that sold the Slim Safe Bohemian Diet which was a very profitable weight loss program. The business was shuttered, however, after a conflict with his business partners. I remember in the 1980s when he had that diet, I remember this big guy was about 400 pounds, that Dick Gregory was helping lose weight with his bohemian diet also, okay? So I remember when that uh, uh, took place. When I was watching Dick Gregory on TV doing that, I never thought I would get a chance to interview him. You know, so <laughs> years later, you know, I never thought I would get a chance to interview him. Uh, <laughs> so uh, when Dick Gregory uh, was diagnosed with uh, lymphoma in 2000, former cancer lymphoma, he fought it with herbs, exercise and vitamins. His lymphoma went into remission a few years later. Uh, He took a break from performing in comedy clubs, saying that the alcohol and smoke in the comedy clubs were unhealthy 
and he focused on lecturing and writing more than a dozen books, including an autobiography and memoir. Okay, we know his autobiography was called. Uh, he, he he wrote uh, the book, the N word book, right? Uh, we know about that, and uh, he wrote a total of sixteen books, also. Okay, total of sixteen books. Uh, Dick Gregory uh, went without solid food for weeks to draw attention to a wide range of causes, including uh, Middle East peace, peace in the Middle East, American hostages in Iran, animal rights, police brutality, uh, the Equal Rights Amendment, okay, and um, and also the, the Equal Rights Amendment for women and to support pop singer Michael Jackson when he was charged with sexual molestation in 2004 okay dick gregory said we thought i was going to be a great athlete and we were wrong and um i thought i was going to be a great entertainer and that wasn't it either i'm going to be an american citizen first class he once said now rich now his birth name was richard claxton gregory richard claxton gregory dick gregory for short he was born uh, October 12, 1932, October 12, 1932. He was the second of six children. His father abandoned the family, leaving his mother poor and struggling. Uh, though the family often went without food or electricity, uh, Dick Gregory's intellect and hard work quickly earned him honors, and he attended the mostly white Southern Illinois University, okay? And he went on a, a track scholarship. He said, in high school, I was fighting being broke and on relief, he wrote in his 1963 book. He said, but in college, I was fighting being Negro. In college, I was fighting being Negro. He started winning talent contests for his comedy, which he continued in the Army after he was discharged. Um, so he continued this in the Army. Now, after he was discharged, he struggled to break uh into the stand-up circuit in Chicago, working odd jobs as a postal clerk and car washer to survive. His breakthrough came in 1961 when he was asked to fill in for another comedian at Chicago's Playboy Club, Chicago's Playboy Club. His audience was uh, uh, mostly white Southern businessmen. They heckled him with racist jokes and things like this, um, but he stuck it out for hours and left them howling. That job was supposed to be a one-night gig but lasted two months and landed Dick Gregory a profile in Time magazine and a spot on The Tonight Show, okay? And at this time, The Tonight Show was hosted by Jack Parr, if I remember correctly. Because So he was on the Jack Parr show. I think that was Tonight Show with Jack Parr first. Vogue, Vogue magazine in February 1962 likened Dick Gregory to Will Rogers and Fred Allen. They said he was bright and funny and topical with a very with, with a way of making the editorials in the New York Times seem the cinch stuff from which smash nightclub routines are rightfully made. Quote, I've got to go up there as an individual first. A Negro second, uh, he said in Phil Berger's, uh, Berger's uh, book, B-E-R-G-E-R-S. Uh, the name of the book is The Last Laugh, The World of Stand-Up Comics by Phil Berger. The Last, the Last Laugh, The World of Stand-Up Comics by Phil Berger. 
Dick Gregory went on to say, I've got to be a colored funny man, not a funny colored man. I've got to be a funny, uh, I've got to be a colored funny man, not a co- not a funny colored man. Okay. I've got to be a colored funny man, not a funny colored man. His political passions were never far from his mind and they hurt his comedy career. Okay. Uh, Cause he, he lost a lot of money turning towards the civil rights movement, but he thought that was more important. He sacrificed that. He thought that was more important than the comedy career. Um, so his political passions were never far from his mind and they hurt his comedy career. The nation was grappling with the civil rights movement and it was not at all clear that racial integration could be achieved. Well, the real fight was for desegregation, just so people understand historically. The real fight was for desegregation. At protest marches, he's, he was repeatedly beaten in jail. We know he was definitely jailed in 1963 with Dr. King in Birmingham. He remained active on the comedy scene until recently when he fell ill and canceled an August 9th show in San Jose, California followed by an August 15th appearance in Atlanta, Georgia, okay? On social media, uh, he wrote that he felt energized by messages from well-wishers and said he was looking uh, to get back on stage because he had a lot to say about the racial tension uh, brought on by the gathering of hate groups in Virginia, okay? Um, August 12th, Charleston, uh, Charlottesville, I should say, Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, Dick Gregory said, we have so much work still to be done. The ugly reality on the news this weekend proves just that. Okay, referring to Charlottesville. He survived by his wife Lillian Gregory and um, 10 children, because he had 10 children. When he was at the University of South Carolina, uh, he set school records in the half-mile and the one-mile races, okay, because he he went on a um, track scholarship. Right. And his college career was interrupted when uh, the U.S. Army drafted him in 1954. OK, so he led a fascinating life. He knew Malcolm X, he knew Dr. King, he knew the civil rights leaders. Um, and he was the first um, um, African-American comedian on The Tonight Show. Also, he was a groundbreaker. His um, autobiography, uh, the N-word book, uh, sold a total of uh, sold more than seven million copies in total. And his response to his mother's objection over the incendiary title, he wrote in the forward, said, "Whenever you hear the uh, word nigger, you know they're advertising my book." That's what he. he that's what he told his mother. Okay. Um, and in 1968, like I said, he ran for president of the Freedom and Peace Party. He ran as a write-in candidate. Of his presidential campaign, he wrote in uh, the 1968 book, Write Me In, Write Me In was his 1968 book. He wrote about how $1 bills that the campaign had printed with Dick Gregory's picture on them had made their way into the money supply had made their way into the money supply. The federal government managed to seize most of the bills and Dick Gregory avoided criminal charges. Very interesting. I remember seeing him uh, some years ago at the um, 
Tavis Smiley used to do the State of the Black America Conference. And I remember seeing him at the State of the Black America Conference. He tore the house down. So uh, check out the article from uh, Monet Fields White, Monet, Monet Fields White for the Root.com. Comedian and civil rights activist Dick Gregory dead at, eight, at 84. Comedian and civil rights activist Dick Gregory dead at 84. And then also check out the uh, article from NBCNews.com. Dick Gregory, barrier-breaking comedian and civil rights activist, dies at 84. Dick Gregory, barrier-breaking comedian and active and civil rights activist, dies at 84. Next week, we'll deal with next Thursday show. I may have time to get to it this Sunday. I don't know. I'm on Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. The African History Network show on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation. Um, so, but we'll, we'll definitely deal with it next Thursday, okay? Uh, also, next Thursday, we'll be joined by Nataki, Nataki Cambone from uh, uh, New Business Solutions. Um, we'll, we'll be joined by her. And she's also with uh, BuyBlack365.com or LessByBlack365.com. But next Thursday, we'll deal with how J. Edgar Hoover of the FBI conspired with the mafia to try to kill uh, um, Dick Gregory. Because Dick Gregory, he was being, uh, his phone was wiretapped and he was being investigated by the FBI. But next Thursday, we'll deal with the story. And Washington Post has a story about this also. This is not conspiracy theory. This is this really happened. We'll deal with how J. Edgar Hoover, director of the FBI, first director of the FBI, and how he conspired with the mafia to try to kill Dick Gregory. Okay. All right. So, uh, okay, let's go to some comments. Okay, Sharon, Carmen, how's everybody doing? Portia. All right. We posted the link. Uh, Elementary Genocide Part 3 is available at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We posted the link there. So you can order that. It's $20. I'm featured in the documentary also. Uh, Elementary Genocide Part 3, Academic Holocaust. Um, this from Director Raheem Shabazz. Just became available today. Just became available today. And... Um, I want to go to this last story here. Okay, so we'll go to this last story. And also for each uh, copy of Elementary Genocide uh, 1, 2, or 3 that you purchase, uh, you'll get one of my DVD presentations free also. Okay. Okay, so Colin Kaepernick uh, is in the news. We see... We've seen uh, this preseason, we've seen some football players uh, protest on behalf of Colin Kaepernick, kneel during the national anthem or raise their fists in the air. We saw this past Sunday, 11 Cleveland Browns players, including one white Cleveland Brown player, um, kneel uh, and participate in the protest uh, against the national anthem. And that's in support of Colin Kaepernick also. Okay. So, um, Today, I'm sorry, yesterday, August 23rd, there was the big protest march outside of NFL headquarters in uh, New York City, okay? 
AtlantaBlackStar.com has an article about this. Washington Post has an article out also. Supporters want Colin Kaepernick signed by NFL season start. Supporters want Colin Kaepernick signed by NFL season start. Supporters of former uh, San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick, who refused to stand for the national anthem to protest police brutality against African Americans and uh, Hispanics and people of color, showed their solidarity with him and his cause at a rally outside National Football League headquarters, NFL headquarters on Wednesday. This was in New York, demanding that he be signed by the start of the regular season next month. More than 1,000 people, many wearing Colin Kaepernick, many wearing jerseys bearing Colin Kaepernick's name, name, Colin Kaepernick jerseys, crowded the steps outside the NFL's midtown Manhattan offices. Kaepernick, who once took the 49ers to the Super Bowl, opted out of his contract with the team in March and remains unsigned. Supporters say he is being blackballed for his advocacy, okay, for his advocacy, and I'm one of them, saying that he's being blackballed. But some critics say he should not have sat or kneeled during the anthem or contend his lack of a job is more about his on-field talent. Chants at the demonstration included boycott, boycott. Women's March organizer Tamika Mallory, Tamika Mallory, addressing football fans, said, I don't care how long you've been watching football. If they don't stand up for your children, turn the damn TV off. She's correct. Some speakers said the league's treatment of Colin Kaepernick is of a piece with its cavalier um, is of a piece with his cavalier attitude towards players' health. Jim, uh, Reverend Jamal Bryant, Pastor Jamal Bryant, said, how in the world can we call ourselves the land of the free, the home of the brave, and you get vilified and criminalized just for speaking your mind? Exercising his First Amendment right. It's called the First Amendment. Exercising his First Amendment right. The NFL has proven with their treatment of Colin Kaepernick that they don't mind if black players get a concussion. They don't mind if black players get a concussion. They just got a, they just got a problem. If uh, black players get a conscience, he said they don't mind if uh, black players get a concussion. They just got a problem. If black players get a conscience. All right. He sounds pretty accurate with that also. So early on Wednesday, August 23rd, the NAACP called for a meeting with uh, the NFL to discuss the fate of Colin Kaepernick, who was, uh, and we know Colin Kaepernick is biracial, his mother's white, his, he, he, was, he, has, he was adopted by a white family. His birth parents, his biological mother's white, his biological father's African-American. Okay, uh, the civil rights organ, the NAACP civil rights organization's interim president, Derek, jo- Derek Johnson, said in a letter to the NFL commissioner, NFL's commissioner, Roger Goodell, that it's apparently, quote, no sheer coincidence, end quote, that Kaepernick isn't on a roster. And he's correct. So Derek Johnson, interim president for the NAACP, went on to say, no player should be victimized and discriminated against because of this exercise of free speech. To do so is in violation of his rights under the U.S. Constitution and the NFL's own regulations. 
So the NAACP's state president in New York, Hazel Dukes, said, quote, right now the action of the league seems to imply to young black men that this league, which is comprised of 70% African-Americans, only values black lives if they are wearing a football uniform. Only values black lives if they are wearing a football uniform. Now, um, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell has said the league is not blackballing Colin Kaepernick. Some other players follow Colin Kaepernick's actions last season, and some are doing so this uh, in this year's preseason. On Monday, a group of Cleveland Browns players prayed in silent protest during the national anthem. Among those kneeling was a white player, Seth DeValve, uh, another white player, Britton Colquitt, uh, did not kneel but kept his hand on the shoulder of a teammate who did. That protest earned the ire of an Ohio Supreme Court justice, um, the lone Democrat holding an Ohio statewide office, Justice Bill O'Neill, wrote on Facebook that he would not attend any games at which, quote, draft-dodging millionaire athletes disrespect the veterans who earned them the right to be on that field, end quote. Draft, okay, there is no draft right now. There's no active draft right now. What what the hell are you talking about? Draft dodging millionaire athletes. You got a president who had five deferments so he would not go and fight in Vietnam. You have a sitting president. He ain't my president. He can go to hell for a, for a long He's going to be forced to resign from office. You have a sitting president who got five deferments so he didn't have to go and fight in Vietnam. Talk about draft dodging. Talk about dress. See, see this is, these are these hypocritical white supremacists. So you talk about absolute. There is no active draft right now. All you have to do is register for selective service. There is no active draft right now. So Justice uh, Bill O'Neill wrote on Facebook, Ohio Supreme Court Justice. I hope they call him out and blast him. They say, "What? Why don't you?" They say, "Why don't you say the same thing about President uh, uh, Donald Trump, who got five deferments, so he didn't have to go fight in the Vietnam War?" And he said. His personal Vietnam was avoiding getting STDs in the 1970s. That's what he said his personal Vietnam was after getting five deferments. So you have this judge, probably white, Justice Bill O'Neill, wrote on Facebook that he would not attend any games at which, quote, draft-dodging millionaire athletes disrespect the veterans who earned them the right to be on that field, end quote. First of all, it's not disrespectful to the veterans. It's not against the veterans. It's against the system of white supremacy and racism. And the national anthem and the flag for that purpose, for that, as far as that goes, are symbols of white supremacy and racism. If you actually read the national anthem, which did not become the national anthem until 1931. It was written September 13, 1814 originally known as the uh, the defense of Fort McHenry by Francis Scott Key, who was a white supremacist slave owner who thought that African people were inferior and came from a slave-owning family. Okay? So um, this guy is just, and then this guy went on to say, shame on you all. 
Okay, does he understand that they fought for the First Amendment and they're exercising the First Amendment rights? This is a total the justice, uh, Ohio Supreme Court Justice Bill O'Neill. If you know him, tell him I said he's a jackass. He's an idiot. I bet you he wouldn't call out. I bet you he wouldn't call out Donald Trump for getting five deferments to avoid the draft. When when Trump got those deferments, there was an active draft going on. There is no active draft right now. So what is he talking? What is he talking about? Come on. You can do better than that. All right, so we'll post a link again here. Hey, this is for uh, Elementary Genocide Part 3. It's available right now at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Just uh, made that available. It's item number, what item is that? Um, item number, is that 819, 814 something? What the hell is that? Let's see, 817, item 817. But just search for Elementary Genocide on the homepage and it'll come up. Elementary Genocide Part 3, available right now, um, featured in the documentary, just came out today. And for each copy you purchase, you get one of my DVD presentations free also, okay? Um, And that's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We'll post a link here on the thread of the broadcast. Um, okay. Yeah, there's no active draft right now, so I don't know what this uh, uh, Ohio State Supreme Court justice is saying. Okay. Hey, look, we got to get out of here. I got to work on this presentation that I have to do in the morning. Those in the Detroit area come out to... Uh, 259900 Greenfield Road, 259900 Greenfield Road, Suite 326, Oak Park, Michigan. This is an office building for coffee, breakfast, and business. Coffee, breakfast, and business. Friday, August 25th, 2017, 9 a.m. to 12 noon. I'm the uh, speaker. We have a Facebook event invite about this on my Facebook page. Uh, We have the information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. I'm dealing with 13 forms of wealth, uh, keys to economic empowerment and entrepreneurship for African Americans, the 13 forms of wealth. Uh, incorporate history into this. It's, it's going to blow you away. Okay. We have that presentation available at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Also, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, and when you order it, you're going to get the new presentation. You'll get the, you'll get the one that I'm doing tomorrow. Okay. Um, we have uh, my DVDs and bundle packs also. Uh, so you get uh, the latest bundle pack is the um, reclaiming the um, um, reclaiming the African mind bundle pack, and I'll tell you what that includes. Let's see which one is this here. Okay, so that includes uh, the distortion of the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The revolutionary will not be televised. That's the presentation I did um, January 17th, January 2017. You'll get great African uh, women in history, the mothers of civilization. That's the new, that's the new version I did. It's a two DVD set, February, 2017. Ancient Kemet, the winter solstice and the history of Christmas. I did that December 26th. Uh, December 2016. Kemen is one of the original names for ancient Egypt. 
the light of ancient Egypt awakens the African mind to economic empowerment. The light of ancient Egypt awakens the African uh, mind to economic empowerment. Did that February 25th, 2017. African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and high elections have consequences. Um, I did that May 27th, 2017. And also in Atlanta. So you, you, it's three, there are three presentations on that BBB. And then lastly, the presentation I did June 24th, 2017. Malcolm X, 50 years later, why is he still relevant? Malcolm X, 50 years later, why is he still relevant? Okay. So we'll post the information there uh, on the thread of the broadcast also for the bundle pack as well. Uh, that's the. Um, Economic Empowerment Bundle Pack 4, that is a six-DVD set, Reclaiming the African Mind Bundle Pack, Reclaiming the African Mind Bundle Pack. All right, well, look, we got to get out of here. Uh, I have a lot of work to do. Uh, Okay, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Uh, Oh, you know what? Uh, I forgot to cover this. Okay. So in we talked about changing the curriculum, right? So in Michigan, um, State Representative Sherry uh, Sherry Gay Dagnago has a bill in the state legislature introduced in March of 2017 to make it mandatory to teach uh, African American history uh, in all public schools in saying that education is key to eliminating racism. She said we we all have to do a better job of getting to know each other and understanding each other. Uh, she said, but it starts in our schools and educating children properly so they're able to push back when they hear lies pushed forward about different races of people. She's absolutely correct. Dr. Carter G. Woodson said the same thing. Professor James Small says the same thing as well. He's, Professor James Small talks about how African-American history and African history has to be taught in every school across the country. Her legislation introduced in March would uh, require that students in all grade levels be taught about the history and contributions of African-Americans in the development of the U.S. and the world. She says the events in Charlottesville, Virginia, of August 12, 2017, reinforced the need for such uh, lessons. A set of social studies uh, content Expectations created by the state of Michigan include lessons regarding slavery, the civil rights movement, the African continent, and its people. I would say you have to start in this country before slavery and start with the African presence here before slavery started. Okay, you have to deal with that also. But uh, Sherry Gay Gay Danago said those lessons as taught in schools likely vary from district to district and don't provide a clear understanding of the contributions that African-Americans have made to this country and their involvement prior to slavery, post-Reconstruction, and on, okay? Um, Okay, so it said a set of social studies content expectations created by the state of Michigan include lessons regarding slavery, the civil rights movement, and the African continent and its people. She wants to go far beyond that, okay? Her uh, bill goes far, far beyond that, but far beyond that. She goes on to say, even after the civil rights era, 
there's nothing that highlights the positivity and the accomplishments of African Americans in science and engineering and building this country. Hundreds of white nationalists, so we know that uh, hundreds of white nationalists gathered. Uh, you had 12 neo-Nazi groups that gathered in Charlottesville, Virginia. And basically, when you uh, researched this, and Vice.com did a documentary about this, they used preserving the statue of Robert E. Lee as a cover to organize. But the uh, woman who was doing the interviews for the documentary, she said they, they, they didn't do a whole lot of talking about Robert E. Lee. They came there with their own agenda, but they used the saving the statue of Robert E. Lee as a cover to organize because the name of the rally was not save the statue of Robert E. Lee. It was called Unite the Right, R-I-G-H-T, Unite the, Unite the Right, talking about the alt-right. And yeah, 12 neo-Nazi groups there uh, uniting, okay, to push their white supremacist uh, agendas, all right? Okay, so you can read more about this article here. Uh, this came out... Um, August 16th, August 16th, 2017, House Democrats push African-American history mandate following Charlottesville, Virginia. House Democrats push African-American history mandate following Charlottesville, Virginia. Okay. And uh, this is from MLive.com. We'll post the link here. And um, you're going to see more efforts to push for a, uh, to have, to push to change, to correct the curriculum. It's a correction of the curriculum to include the history of African-Americans and African people, okay? It's a, so, so Donald Trump said they're trying to change history. No, history needs to be corrected because people have been miseducated, okay? All right. Once again, I'm in the documentary that uh, came out today, Elementary Genocide, uh, part three, Academic Holocaust from director Raheem Shabazz. It's available right now at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, along with um, at least 30 of my DVD lectures. Uh, here is the trailer for Academic Holocaust. Here's um, the trailer for Academic Holocaust, uh, part three. I'm sorry, Elementary Genocide, part three, Academic Holocaust from... Um, Director Raheem Shabazz And uh, Here we go From the creator of the award winning documentary series Elementary Genocide 1 and 2 Come to third and last installment Elementary Genocide 3 Academic Holocaust From kindergarten Everything is designed in the curriculum To murder your psychic abilities to murder your intellectual possibilities, to murder your creative possibilities, because that is the way the curriculum is designed to keep Africans from developing the capacity to recreate themselves in their communities, in their families, in their institutions by their own hands. Let us remember that the pistol grip of today was that. Slave yesterday. Let us remember that the handcuffs of today, were the ropes and the shackles of yesterday. Shit that those slave masters of yesterday have become the judges and the prosecutors and the police departments of today. There's just some things that are not comfortable for white people. They're not comfortable for them to talk about. 
the possibility that Africans were here before the Europeans. Contributions of African people, not just in America, but African people worldwide, is not incorporated into the curriculum. One of the ways that you keep a people oppressed is to not show them their true history. Because if I can make you feel inferior, I can control anything that you Black people have bought into white supremacy and they don't know it. It's like instead of fighting the picture of white supremacy or the picture that white supremacy painted of black people, we've accepted it. The oppressor knows that if they put our contributions into the curriculum, if they put our children into the curriculum, put them into the picture, put them into the frame, then we'll tear this thing out the frame. So we as a community have to take hold of the educational process of our children and we have to begin to take our children down that road of ma'at, truth and justice and righteousness, in order to educate them in a way that they will become productive citizens, not only of the country, but of the world. Well, African liberation has a lot of dimensions. You know, we're talking about one, African peoples all over the world, most of whom are not free to self-determine their lives and their future. Freeing the lands of Africa, freeing the nation states of Africa, so that they can self-determine and develop their own industry and their own culture and their own way of life with an economic system that can support them by utilizing the wealth in the ground that is theirs. Most of the education that we're getting now, either on elementary level, junior high, high school, all of the educational systems that we don't own, uh, all of those denigrate all of the accomplishments of African All right, that is the trailer for Elementary Genocide Part 3. Academic Holocaust, I'm featured in the documentary. You heard me there in the trailer. And um, it's available right now at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can get all three installments um, for $50, and you'll get three of my DVD presentations free also. Um, that is a, that's a $90 value, Okay. It's a $90 value for $50. All right. So um, that's also available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right. Look, we got to get out of here. Here at the African History Network, we focus on educating and empowering. And so at the website, just search for elementary genocide. At the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, let's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. <laughs>